Dr. Ethel Tungohan, an Associate Professor of Politics at York University. Welcome to Academic Aunties. The holidays are upon us, and with that comes heightened stress. The fact that Omicron is rearing its ugly and contagious head doesn't help. It is ironic, in fact, that I have been counting down the days until the end of term, eagerly waiting for the opportunity to rest and relax and experience a semi-normal holiday season when, boom, the pandemic throws all of these plans of resting and relaxation out the window. It doesn't help that, as Auntie Nisha puts it in this episode, institutions don't have their shit together with many students and faculty members left trying to figure out what will happen when term starts again in January 2022. All of these are our horrible realities right now. But what I am hoping to do amidst all of this uncertainty is to carve out sacred spaces. I want to remember who I am outside this existing moment and also outside the academy as a way to rebuild my strength. So I am very pleased to present this extended conversation that I had with two of my favorite people, Dr. Rita Damoon, who is my academic auntie, and Dr. Nishanath, who I absolutely adore. When we recorded this conversation, we decided to have a few cocktails while we chatted about different types of rest, what getting your shit together means, and what gives us joy and strength. So grab your favorite beverage, get comfy, and enjoy. I am super excited because this is our final episode of 2021, Uh, but uh, I'll get uh, both of you to introduce yourself. Um, So I'm Rita Cordemoon. I'll introduce myself as if I was introducing someone to a relative. Uh, So I'm Krishna and Karam's daughter, and my family's from North Punjab. And um, I teach at University of Victoria, uh, a survivor of political science, still trying to survive. Um, let's all just be honest about that. And I'm here today on the Quangan territory. And just so happy to be in this same space with Ethel and Nisha. And I am also so ecstatic to have been invited, Ethel, and to, to be sitting. I wish we were all sitting together, but to be sitting also with Rita, who has been um, my everything in for, for many, many years. Um, and so I am Nisha Nath. I teach at Athabasca University. I like how you put that, uh, Rita, that you are a survivor of political science. I guess I could say that. Um, for myself, I'm no longer in um, a department of political science. I'm in a department of, <laughs> of interdisciplinary <laughs> studies, which is which is interesting into itself. Um, and then I am here in Amiskwachiwaskaiken. Um, so those are um, in the lands covered by Treaty Six. Awesome. Um, it's funny that we start this conversation using the word survivor. What are we surviving? I think for me. It feels like I've been both um, intellectually assaulted by political scientists, um, that I've been institutionally battered, <laughs> um, as many as many of uh, women of color have. So I think the survival is institutionally having to already do double the labor. Um, which I've also witnessed with many women of color, that we have to learn the discipline of political science. And then we also have to learn the actual other kinds of politics 
the political literature that we're interested in, whether that be critical race or migration or security. Um, so part of it is surviving the extra additional labor that we do. Part of it is surviving um, racist colleagues uh, within <laughs> yep. the departmental setting. And some of that is overt and some of it isn't. And part of it is um, being institutionally, surviving the institutional kind of space of whiteness, yeah. where you're constantly having to brace your body to even enter uh, a corridor, or you have to really think about what you're going to wear um, and how you should sit and stand. Um, you know, those both physical, intellectual, um, mental health aspects have all been negatively impacted. Which isn't to say that I haven't also thrived, but the thriving in the academy has not been because of the institution. It's been because of colleagues like you, Ethel, and you, Nisha, and because of the amazing students that I get to I can engage with. So the university isn't going to permanently mark me either. But when I think about that word survive, it's it feels like quite viscerally that we are to come in as fractured selves or fragmented selves, right? And so um, I think now that I have um, a position structurally that I didn't have when I was sessionaling and ultimately working so that I could pay daycare <laughs> before, now that I have this structural position where I can think about, about um, what it means to enter into the academy as like a whole self. I think that's where I'm starting to think about survival because it, I mean, it raises really interesting questions about like, well, what, you know, it, if I am to reclaim myself, which I think I now have a little bit of time and energy to do, what kind of, what kind of academic will I be? Right? Like, I, I think I will be a really different one because you know, for the, the entirety of this time, as Rita put it, there has been this kind of assault against our whole selves, right? And then we fragment ourselves sometimes um, with no choice, but sometimes quite intentionally to guard or keep those things of ourselves that are sacred safe. Um, and so, yeah, I think um, the survival piece, when I link it to... Um, you know what it what it means to enter into this this space as a whole self is is curious to me. I'm I'm very curious what kind of academic I will be um, if I can come in as a whole self. Is that even possible though? Like I also am at a period where I don't know, Rita. We had a or Rita Massey. We had a conversation a few months ago, which is still on my whiteboard. Uh, do the work that feeds you, and I keep remembering that, and I keep looking at it, and it kind of grounds me, right? Um, and I think what you were saying, Auntie Nisha, you know, what would bringing in your whole self look like? I think that's such a good question. Like when I was thinking about this this episode and your questions. I was thinking about, well, who, what did I do before I even met my partner? Like, what, who, who was I, right? Like, before I started in grad school, like, what were the things that I, I do and things that, curiously, I'm starting to re-explore now? And so I think 
I don't know what that looks like in terms of the content that we bring into our scholarly work. But I know that as I have been slowly starting to dabble in the things that I used to do before things started happening to me in this institutional space, I feel differently. And I think that that will, that, that enables me to enter in in a slightly different register. I mean, I wonder, Nisha, when you said that, whether we want to enter our whole selves into the academy, you know, like that there are so many parts of ourselves that we can't reveal to the academy in fear that they will not see us as legitimate, they devalue our knowledge already, um, that we are not seen as worthy as our white colleagues, especially white women. Maybe, maybe if I can offer like a friendly amendment, maybe it's like a that we can't bring our whole mm, scholarly selves to the academy, right? And that it's good for us to not bring other parts of our life. Although saying that, one of the things that I'm learning to do or thinking through is how do I bring my art into like my research? So I am trying to blend them. So I, I, I'm not quite sure whether I think we need to keep an entire separation between work life and non-work life, or whether there are ways, in fact, that we can bring it together. Um, and that, in fact, maybe we want to. I mean, I think about both of you raising young children, and there are some spaces in the academy where we want young children to be present and to see and learn um, what it looks like to be in the space. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe the friendly amendment is that we want, um, we want to be able to bring those parts of ourselves that we choose without fear of reparation or, or being beaten up or, or being punished or penalized in some way. Yeah, I feel like that's such an important amendment because what we were saying, which is that you have to guard what's sacred, that's what I've consciously been trying to do in order to preserve my mental health in the academy. So when you go into these spaces, you put on a mask, right? Um, and I've tried to set boundaries badly, but I have tried consciously this year to set boundaries uh, where I don't go to meetings that I know are bullshit meetings, where there's a lot of busy work, where I know there's a lot of toxicity. And the secret is my family. The secret are my children, are my friendships, right? So as much as possible, I also try not to respond to emails when there are <laughs> there when it's the weekend. Um, but I think, it, but I'm doing this out of a sense of defensiveness. I'm guarding it. This is a fortress. You can't encroach into this space, right? But it's different what you say, it Rita, Rita Massey, which is that you know maybe if it's a, a question of us being able to choose to present um, what parts of ourselves we want to present rather than being defensive, that looks different too. I guess I would just add too, because I agree with you. I remember kind of as I was thinking about your, your question and then thinking about, you know, whether one wants to have their whole self available to the academy. I think that is the difference, right? Like, does the ad academy get my whole person? No, right? But do I get to be kind of my whole person in my work? Yes, right? So I think that to me is that, distinction like what is available to be consumed or um, taken up by the academy or what is just what what how am I allowed to travel through like in in what way am I allowed to, to occupy myself in these spaces so I feel like that to me is um, 
that to me, linking back to your, your question around this word survival, that, that feels like um, something on the other side, right? Of just merely surviving or being reactive, but to actually, yeah, be able to be one's whole self, which isn't always available anywhere, right? Like there's no space where we're always fully available to people, but we can be fully ourselves, right? What do you think it would look like to come as yourself when you choose? What would you do differently? What would both of you do differently? I want to rediscover the sense of wonder and excitement I have for research and reading. I love reading. I mean, I went into this business because I, I like the I like the ideas <laughs> and concepts and theories that I read, right? Like education is a site of emancipation. It does open your doors. It does open your your brain to new new concepts and new frameworks. But I feel like we've been conditioned because of the neoliberal academy to stamp that down and to be productive and to publish. And we're not given the space to create and to think and just be. But that's what I wanted to do when I entered this world. I thought, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is very like dead poet society, right? But and I don't <laughs> like that because it's like, you know, white dudes, white English, you know, English students or whatever. Like, talking about English literature, non, none of that, oh, captain, my captain crap, right? Like, but what I actually, I mean, I just, I just remember kind of, I don't know, being in love with political theory and reading Said and being like, oh my God, yes, as an undergrad, but I haven't recaptured that as a prof, which is ironic because that's what I wanted to do, right? I think for me, what I've learned this term is like how much more open I am about not knowing the answers and not actually um, like setting a question for the students that I'm still trying to work through. And I've not done that before. I've always felt like I've needed to like know where I stand on a certain question. So this, this term's question for the students for a course on colonialism was um, how do we build good relations with Indigenous people? And I have to say it was a, the heart came in to the classroom more than I expected. And I really, I was really grateful for that. Um, but there's a risk, right? There's a risk how it's just going to show up in your evaluations. Uh, is it going to be seen as pedagogically sound? Um, yeah, I think that there are risks attached to exploring non-conventional modes of teaching. When you said the heart came in more, what does that, what did that look like or feel like? Well, students, for instance, would share painful experiences and some super joyful experiences. Mm -hmm. So one of their assignments also was that they had to come up with a joyful, um, an example of joyful or good relations. Mm -hmm. That was their, one of the other assignments. And, and so we would have people laughing in the classroom uh, or people really sharing very intimate kind of painful pieces. And it wasn't just white guilt. Um, <laughs> so, and I think for me, also I could see the shift in some students. Like, you know, when you can see it, but it wasn't an inter just, just an intellectual shift. It was also one of the sense of their world opening. Mm. And it lifted my heart. I could l literally feel the difference. 
Whereas in a department meeting, I can just fill <laughs> my thoughts. <laughs> oh God, it's those contrasts, right? In a department meeting, I shrivel up and I just want to die. And I feel like I need to put, it's like, it's like, you know, the fortress is being built as the department goes on I'm putting in layer upon layer upon layer. So you can't, you know, you have to insulate yourself. And sometimes you have an out of body experience where you're like, am I really sitting through this? But yeah, these beautiful creative classroom moments, um, that's such a big contrast of these department meetings, because I find that when we take risks, creative risks with teaching and even with research, which we can, you know, turn to in a second, um, then it kind of reminds us of why we're here. So I remember, I don't know, it was just like a random assignment from a graduate class on uh, the limits of diasporas and citizenship, where I just kind of asked my students, because we just weren't getting anywhere with the text and they were giving kind of, and I wasn't, I wasn't engaged either. It was like giving tired summaries of the text. I was like, come on, everyone, let's just stop. Okay, let's stop. Take out a pencil or take out your, your, your laptops and let's just free write, right? Like what does what does social justice look like if you could kind of imagine a world, you know, world making, right? Like what would it look like? And then my students loved it. And then I got entries with like sci-fi, like from really vivid sci new, new sci-fi worlds, right? Where it was like, wow, you just created a new world system. Like, what is this? Right. To like more, more poetic, more poetic, you know, like abstract, uh, uh, you know, summaries. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I like that. Giving space for creativity. See, that's powerful, Ethel, though, because you, in doing that, like even if we're, we're thinking about, okay, well, what does it mean to, to, to be able to be one's whole self, whether like not making it available, but being that whole self and doing this work, and, and how that gets kind of trained out of us. But to, to make that space for your students, it is important. Like that's a very important intervention because it's, it's teaching, showing, cultivating that yes, you should be bringing in these different vocabularies, these different languages that you use in your daily life to make sense of this material, but then also how you are traveling in your your own world so that's i mean that's a really powerful um space to open up for your students rita how would you bring an art in your research so i don't know how to quite bring in my art yet i did try it in one class mm -hmm. and some people received it really well and others really resistant to it you know i have experimented with bringing art into the classroom which has flopped and also been really fun too. Like really, really, really fun. I remember, um, um, uh, I think it was a course on gender and politics and I, I like raided my children's art supplies <laughs> and I just brought in all of these supplies. And I remember, I think we were um, reading that Audra Simpson piece, The State is a Man. And and so I brought in all these supplies and then uh, we had to build these different kind of conceptualizations of the state. So oh we had to take these, it was so fun. It was, I mean, some, some kids or some, some of the students just, um, 
you know, it didn't really resonate with them, but some of them really, really loved it, right? Like, how do we, how do we represent the neoliberal state, right? With these supplies? And how does that look different than the state as a man, right? Like when it was fun, like you're moving your body, you're like pulling all these different materials that you wouldn't normally, you know, be exposed to. It was very fun. Um, and I mean, I, I miss, you know, being in a space because I, I teach in an online environment, but I, I miss being in a space where you can do that. Like you can bring in music, you can start a class with, you know, music playing every day that is relevant to um, the material that you're, you're um, going to engage with. So yeah, I think there's really fun stuff that can be really um, uh destabilizing for students though too because they are already trained into a particular way of doing things but i don't know when you um yeah plant that seed or create that opening as you did ethel like it's stunning stunning what they will do or how they how their entire bodies will look different in that space or their faces will look different in that space when they're doing it yeah Brilliant, Nisha. I love that. It was fun. It was fun. It's interesting because I feel like, you know, it's almost, I've never talked about some of the exercises I do for fun because then I'm afraid that people will be like, oh, you're not a rigorous teacher. Aren't we supposed to teach them how to write papers? And, you know, how to, how to, you know, whatever, like how to, how to function in the workforce. And it's like, when, so when, when can we learn about ideas? When can we learn about, like these concepts, right? These constructs, if not the university, but it's not like that. We're not allowed to do that. There's not a lot of spaces for creativity. Mm -hmm. Or you feel like you have to be silent about it, as you say, Ethel. You know, that's, which is even worse. funny i feel like so i was telling Antonisha this uh before we hit record i am in this weird state of transformation like i feel like so i turned 40 listeners i turned 40 okay i turned 40 <laughs> in like two weeks dear god right <laughs> so i'm going through a midlife crisis honestly i am where i was like thinking about i'm such a cliche but i was like thinking about my life and i was like man, if I'm going to have to do the same old thing and follow the same grind (laughs) from now until I retire at 65, yuck, I don't want to do that. And so it was like, literally, I was like Googling like woodworking classes, right? I, I started boxing classes, which it's my, it's my, oh my goodness. I started last Sunday. I've gone back to to my club twice. Oh, wow. <laughs> and at first I was a little bit mortified because they have like different circuits and you had to do, you know, the Rocky jump rope. And I couldn't do it. I was like, I kept tripping and I was like chastising myself. I was like, oh my God, why do, why do I keep tripping? And <laughs> someone next to me was like, you know, the Rocky, like boom, 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 boom. And I was like, and you know, the, the trainer was like, here, why don't you just kind of get these like balls and kind of just jump, jump around. Cause you can't jump on, like you can't do the jump rope. But then it was okay. And then, you know, they, they taught me how to, uh, 
They taught me how to 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 land an uppercut. They taught, I mean, and then I just absolutely <laughs> loved it. Like I I'm I'm rubbish, right? But it doesn't matter because I don't know. I felt really strong and badass, and I have like a wrap, and I have like my gloves, and I just love it. And I wonder if both of you are engaged in. <laughs> similar activities like fun things that get you out of your mind right yeah you should you want to go because you certainly have some amazing things you do i think you should go but i would just i would just like to say that i object to jumping because i don't think <laughs> that that people need to jump right so i i think resist the jumping <laughs> I think you can resist the jumping, Ethel. That's all I would say. Rita, you go first. I, I want to hear from you, and then I'm happy to pop in. I think, Ethel, you should make your uh, uh, poli-sci webpage picture of you in boxing gloves. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to share this with both of you, whatever, the listeners as well. So uh, before you started, they also, so in, in the club, before they start, they're like, pick a fighter name. And I was like, oh, a fighter name, right? Um, and so my fighter name, okay, I'm kind of embarrassed sharing this. My fighter name's The Rooster, right? I'm The Rooster. <laughs> <laughs> because roosters are, but they're like, they, they squawk, right? They're like vicious. Have you seen a rooster? Yeah. <laughs> 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 What would be your fighter name, Antinisha? Oh my god, I don't know. That's challenge. I don't know. I'd have to really think. You that should ask like your kids. Yeah, <laughs> that's a fighter name for you. Yeah. How about you, Rita? Yeah, what's your fighter name? I don't think I have one. Uh, Christine C. had called me Rita D. <laughs> <laughs> that read a d so does that make you feel different in yourself in relation to the academy to be sort of mm. taking up boxing ethel i don't even think it's related to the academy it's just something i wanted to do right like i i, I don't know i mean maybe if i bulk up and become really like good right although i know that's not the agenda it's not about being like manny pacquiao it's not about getting a boxing title this is just for fun right but maybe maybe if i like do this long enough maybe i'll like strut in my department and be like what you want a piece of me i can punch you right like the rooster is here right <laughs> but it's just it's it, it's just a fun thing i did and it's exhausting like it's actually really tiring like afterwards i was like okay my arms are and there's it, there's like dudes in the space too and they're like huh, huh, huh. and i'm like oh my god <laughs> like, but at the end of it it's a sense of gratification because after like after the workout you're like i did it it's done it's not like a freaking dissertation right where it's like years <laughs> upon years of effort it's just one workout and it's done so i don't know if both of you have activities where it's like immediate gratification that's rewarding as well i used to love and i still do love cutting grass <laughs> mowing the lawn <laughs> um, that's amazing really lame. it is probably really lame but it was precisely because it it's done, right? Mm. And there's a sense of satisfaction. So since sort of having more physical health limitations, I'm finding, like, I would love to do boxing. I feel like if I had discovered boxing in my 30s, I'm now in my 50s, um, I think I would have really loved it and been able to do it. Physically, I just can't do it anymore. So 
I have more kind of sedentary uh, fun things and uh, one of them is art um, so I've tried pastels, watercolour, paint pouring um, which is kind of my favourite where you like pour the paint on the canvas with different colours and move it around and I'm also learning to play the dolki which is an Indian drum um, and I'm terrible and all the <laughs> other people are like 12 year olds, 8 year olds and then there's me um, but I love it. So you take online classes or how does it work? I do. I take online classes. Yeah. But it's really hilarious because they're on like the kids are on budget number 264. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm finally on number three. But three. Yeah. Three. But it's been two weeks, three weeks of number three. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love it. I do love it. It brings me joy. And I love playing with children. That's the other oh. thing I really love to do. I find adults much more challenging as I've aged. Um, and I think that's part of the sensory kind of demands of engagement, um, especially with other intellectuals. So I love to play. I'm a good player. I'll babysit anytime. Oh. I wish we lived in the same city. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, let's. Exactly. <laughs> my uh, my five year old loves crafts, and honestly, I'm just like, Jesus, like I hate glue, I hate glitter. I'm just like, but I do it because I love her. So yeah. <laughs> How about you, Auntie Nisha? I know you do some really fun things. You know, I uh, we. Uh, I mean, it's hard to answer this question too, I think, because it's the things that we as a family and that I do have also happened recently because I did not do this when I was a sessional instructor, right? Like I did not do it when I, when my kids were teeny. Um, I, and then also there's the pandemic, right? Which, which required searching out. For things I think really especially with kids home for like 17 18 months um and so you know when you said Rita that you um as you age you you find I can't remember how you put it it was beautiful as everything you say but just in terms of the demands of engagement with other adults or academics too especially um I I, I see that the common thread in the things that I turn to uh, involve non-engagement with other adults, right? So I turn to, um, um, certainly there is music, which is more recent. Like I, I wrote like on a piece of manuscript paper the other day, which was like, I hadn't done that in years and years and years and just started to like, what? you know, write out a little song. What? Yeah. Like, but yeah. <laughs> Nisha. But, you know, like, so music, right? So starting to to engage in music again, and then um, you know, as you you both know, we we have a lot of kind of non human life that comes into <laughs> our home. So we we've had a couple of foster fails that are like beautiful members of the family now but then we also have had ducks that have spent time in the house <laughs> we've had chicks that have spent time in the house um and then you know like the thing the thing to me and i this is a question i pose to 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 you both and it especially makes me think about like 
Rita, when you were saying you love to play with kids. And I think the one thing that I, I did do a lot of when I was doing sessional work was play with my children, right? Um, and, you know, what happened in those moments when you're playing with, you know, a child that requires your attention is that you everything else gets suspended, right? And you are fully present, you know, you're, you're fully present in making slime or Play-Doh or building a structure or, you know, whatever the case may be. So when I am you know, growing my seedlings and in the garden or pulling weeds, or if I am writing, you know, like a tiny note on manuscript paper or playing an instrument or whatever. Like for me, I think what I have realized is that I am present fully in that moment. And I am never fully present in academia. I'm always in five different places in one moment. And so I'm kind of curious about you both, yeah. Even when you're writing, eh? You you don't feel fully present. Hmm. No. Can we just pause for a moment and just say, Nisha Nath, uh, <laughs> music. Uh, you said you sing and you play. I did not know you sing and you play. There was a time. I was so much more interesting. See, this is, I mean, this is like, relating to to your question right that brought us together about like you know what happens to our identity when we go into the academy like where do we go right and so that was me this is this is a revelation because first of all is there anything you can't do nisha nath like honestly (laughs) um but secondly it also made me think you know when i was in high school uh and even before that i loved writing creative stories not essays right like i had like i was a precocious like six-year-old who wrote little chapter books and i mailed a chapter book to like i i opened the the whatever the book and i saw random house right and i like mailed it you know because <laughs> you know when i i love creative writing right like loved it and uh and and when I started university, I haven't written a, a short story since. You know, I noticed one of your questions, Ethel, was around, like, how do we protect our time to do all those more fun things? And I think part of it has to be like a real cutoff now, mm. you know, when not going to check emails in the evening and not going to work on the weekends. And I think that time management kind of, I know it's very, um, it feels very kind of efficiency, neoliberal language. Um, but I don't want to give my time away to the university the way I have done for probably 20 years of my life. Mm. I don't want to do that anymore. And I physically can't. So, but I was forced to. And so I really encourage people, and I think this is how we need to train our grad students better in terms of prioritizing our health now so we get into good habits and we're training our students to get into good habits early on whether they're undergrads or grad students, mm. you know, in terms of taking time off and making making decisions based on their health. Like what would their day look like if they prioritize their health today instead of the five chapters they feel like they need to read or to actually like what does it look like to have rest time and learning that there's different kinds of rest. There's intellectual rest. You know, you might be physically tired going boxing, but it also gave you intellectual rest. Right. And so there's different modes of rest that we can we can follow and and engage in. And I think that's really important. 
you know, one of the the challenges I think too is that there are so many and I'll just say women of color, just in, in terms of I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing a few key people in my life who do this work, who are in academia, and they are dealing with, they are, their research is their life, mm. right? Like in some very profound, deep ways, right? And so that boundary drawing, and I'm sure, Ethel, you can think of, you know, the one person that, that you and I both know that, where that 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 is not something um, that is so easily um, separate, right? Like that work and life when it is, you know, all of the questions that are animating your research are ones that, that are kind of integral for you to resolve because your community's life is so at stake, right? And so I, I'm curious for you both because I respect so much how you... Um, really care for your students um how like what does what does advocating and supporting your students to rest look like for students like that which are a lot of our students i think um who come to us right who are really so deeply in that life work as part of the research yeah i mean i think one of my brilliant brilliant students actually um had posted on Twitter that in the act of kind of writing their research proposals, they're reading more on what she's writing on, which is like intimately connected to uh, lived experiences that she's had and her family has had and her community has had. Right. But what's been so harrowing about reading all of these texts and doing all of these secondary research, knowing that she'll also have to go into the field and do that as well, is that she's kind of getting vicariously re-traumatized, right? Um, and that's why she went into academia to understand more these lived experiences and structural inequalities that led to that, right? But then you're kind of living and breathing um, this topic. And so how do you kind of stop stop <laughs> stop kind of internalizing everything when that is you know your life is why you did your research right like how do you kind of stop that um but i do think um i don't know i feel like not to be you know well this is academic antis but i feel like a lot of um younger generations <laughs> have a better sense of you know when to when to kind of stop. And by that, I mean, you know, I find that uh, there's a lot, a lot more critiques of neoliberalization in the academy now than there were when I started graduate school, right? There's a lot of like communities through Instagram and through Twitter and even in-person communities that call out bad academic behavior. There's a discourse of care among grad students that certainly when I was a grad student, we would never talk about. You would be like the weirdo if you kind of ask your fellow graduate students, um, you know, does this, if I were to ask so-and-so to be their supervisor, are they caring? Are they caring good people? You wouldn't, you would never ask that, at least not in my grad program, right? So I feel like, yeah, I, I, I get your point, Nisha. I also am, and I'm, I'm, I'm very, very happy to see and witness these spaces of support that people have access to. That certainly, when I was a grad student, those didn't exist. 
I think, you know, in some ways I find students of colour, Indigenous students, Black students, in some ways have so much more expectation of, of, um, of us as women of colour, faculty of colour. Um, and so it's hardest to disappoint them, mm. which is where I find I have very, like those are where my worst boundaries are now is with students of colour, Indigenous students and Black students. Um, so that's a part I still feel like I don't have figured out. Mm. Um, but when I what I do say is, what kinds of rest do you need? Like, are you physically exhausted? Are you into like I've started to figure out for myself? There's a difference between mental uh, fatigue uh, versus intellectual fatigue versus physical fatigue, and of course they overlap. And anyone that has chronic health knows that they overlap. Um, but to try and distinguish those for people. And then, um, and I remember saying this to you, Nisha, some years ago, like you have an obligation to future people. Mm. So get your shit together. <laughs> yeah. It's like, honestly, you need to like be well mm. and teach yourself. And if that means you need an extension, you got the extension. That's mm -hmm. fine. If we need to rework what the weighting of assignments is, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But you have an obligation to the future and the people that you're going to encounter in the work you're going to do. So you need to get your shit together. What does that look like for you? Mm -hmm. And I know that's like kind of harsh, but I find most people are much more responsive to... <laughs> you have responsibilities rather than, you know, you need to take care of yourself. They don't really hear that. Very mm. few people do. That's a good point. Unless you're a white male. <laughs> they hear it plenty. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Can I ask, what was the context in which that advice was given? Like, get your shit together. Was it like, just out of curiosity? I mean, Nisha is the person who has her sh I mean, I feel like you have your shit together. No, no. <laughs> yeah, you do, Nisha. Nisha, I think it was. A, I think it was in the context of like a bunch of you um, that were kind of wrapping up your PhDs, mm. and it was just that last push. Mm. Um, and it wasn't because I have any doubt in Nisha or any of the others that at all. In fact, it's because you know, Nisha, I think that your work is so profoundly important mm. and brilliant and that you are going to sh continue to shape students, um, that we need you there. And so, you know, we are building on, like I'm building on other women of color, black mm. women in particular, you know, what they have paved. Um, so I have an obligation to them. And trust me, I don't want to hear somebody say that to me when I'm having a lousy day, but other times it's been really helpful to hear that from someone else. Um, and I say it with, well, it actually doesn't sound like I say it with love, but I, I hope that the people I say it to know how much I love and respect them. Um, so I wouldn't say it to a student I didn't know well, because <laughs> that would be kind of awful. You know, there is, there is the philosophy of like, make them cry, then give them a hug, kind of supervision style. <laughs> that was not you. No. Yeah, no. I don't no. like that. So... No. But I do think that sometimes we need to be reminded. So what does getting your shit together mean? Because a part of me is like, 
a part of me is like, you know, because I'm a people pleaser. I'm like, okay, well then, Rita Auntie, I will, I will write more articles. Okay, I will get more grants. You know, I will, I will be the neoliberal producing subject. I will make sure that my shit's together to make. I don't know. This is always my thing. It's something my therapist and I need to work on in order to make my immigrant parents proud to make their experiences of deprofessionalization like make sense that's what drives me i'm a i'm an immigrant kid right so is that what getting your shit together means or is getting sh your shit together mean just do i i don't know actually that's why i'm asking mm -hmm. that's a great question ethel i have that sense too as an immigrant uh child working class parents as well um I think for me, what it means is put your health first, mm. finish what you need to get done. Like if you want to finish your MA, then you need to finish your MA. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's all it means. Uh, I am, I'm, if you want to stay in the academy, I can help you figure out how to stay in the academy. Mm. If you want to leave the academy, I can help you fit. So whatever their goal is, um, do you need to write another article for tenure? Okay, I can help you do that. Mm -hmm. But it's not more than that. Mm -hmm. What I've learned is that um, getting your shit together is what is your standard oh, for yourself? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and what is it that, well, it's two things. What do I need to do? Uh, so what do I need to do to get through this semester <laughs> and finish the semester? So that's part of my, for myself when I say that. So I know I need to get my grading done. I know I need to do revise and resubmit. There's two things. Why do I have 10 on my list? Mm. Um, so mm. what are, what do I need to do to get through? It's not what, what do I need to do to exceed those expectations? So that's part of it. And then part of it is, what do I want to do? Mm. Um, and how am I going to do that? Mm -hmm. So in my case, it's also like asking other people to read my work. I hate doing that because I feel like the people I want to ask, they're already overburdened. It and I don't want to ask. You, I mean, I would read your work. I would read rough, rough. Well, I do, because mean, I always feel yes! like, oh. What? what I need is people like Ethel, Anisha, Anita, Karina to read my work. Always. I trust Always. your analysis, right? Always. No bad. But so that's where I need to get my shit together is to trust the people in my community. So that's mm. also that, right? So it's not actually about productivity. Unless that's a goal that you set for yourself because you need to. I need to unlearn productivity because I've become an academic robot. Honestly, that's how I feel. I mean, I've written and worked with Nisha and I just so appreciate Nisha, how you're such a deep thinker that you take pauses, that you're reflective. <laughs> no, 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 no. But you're thoughtful not. and you bring a lot of care in what you think. And I feel like a lot of us, myself included, we're formulaic. We know the formula. We need to produce. We need to, you know, put things out there. And yet, I think for me, getting my shit together means finding out um, the work that matters to me. And I'm doing now the work that actually matters to me. The people who I work with are people I actually want to work with and not just people I feel I have to work with out of a sense of obligation. Um, but yeah, I just feel like I need to come from a space of creating and and 
I don't know, um, kindness, right? Like to myself, cause I beat myself up a lot. So that's what getting my shit together means for me. Um, so I'm happy it's not a neoliberal cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, Rita. Okay. I'll give you more grants. I don't know. Like <laughs> what more do you need? <laughs> you know? I think part of it effort too is how many times you end up boxing. Right? <laughs> like that yes. to me is part of you getting your shit together. Like how many times are you going to prioritize your non-academic world? Mm. Mm-hmm. Who are we outside of that? The question mm-hmm. you asked us, mm-hmm. you know, and that's yeah. part of it for me. Because as you say, if we're not healthy, we can't do this work anyway. Nisha, what does getting your shit together mean for you at this juncture? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think... I don't know. Maybe I, I will just sit with that. I'm not really sure. Like, I think... I think I... I, maybe it's as simple as I know how I want to feel Mm. and I want that to be in my work. Mm. That's so profound. How do you do this, Nishanath? (laughs) How do you, I mean, I feel like I'm like, you know, one glass of wine in and I'm just being incoherent. (laughs) And then you drop this truth bomb after like three glasses. Like what? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no but that's such a oh, no. good no. it's such a good litmus test right how does it make you feel well if ugh, i don't know i wow i i need to write this down that is huge. but i think it's like this is my like i am curious for both of you because i know how the things that i've been doing make me feel even if i can't necessarily describe them well but I am, I'm curious, like for you, Ethel, there's the boxing, but then there's also this podcast, right? <laughs> Which is, is a real, like, I mean, there's a lot in it, right? In terms of finding joy, but then also it's still implicated in the academy, etc. And then for you, Rita, like all of this artwork, all of this community work that you're also doing with youth, etc. Like, I'm curious how you would articulate the feeling there and then do you feel that at work this is a really important question i think this is a good question for all of us to think about how do we want to feel and how do we actually feel um i sometimes feel it in my teaching Mm. and and to me i've learned to pay attention to my body so Mm. am i not my jaw as much are my shoulders more relaxed rather than hunched um do i have a headache you know is, uh, are my temples pounding are the hair on the root of my hair hurting so i've noticed uh, my physical symptoms before i noticed the emotional mm. and i've had to learn to do that over several years because it didn't come naturally so if I can, if my body feels more relaxed, then I take that as a good sign. I'm so, I'm so grateful for the space that we've created. Um, I guess as a final question, um, it's December and winter break is coming soon. Uh, and I know our listeners um, feel guilty, some of them, for taking a break. <laughs> <laughs> even when it's like mandated by the university, what advice would you give our listeners who feel guilty about taking the holiday off? 
Other than drink a few glasses of eggnog and... (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I would say that part of being in the academic world requires us to take time off in order to make it sustainable. That uh, getting your shit together is partly done by making healthier priority. Mm. Um, figure out for yourself what kinds of rest you need. It might be that you need to be doing some work, but um, you need physical rest. But like, figure out what kind of rest you need. And then I love Nisha's question: How do you want to feel? And if you're not feeling that every day, then you need to figure out yourself in conversation with others as I feel like I've learned from both Ethel and and Nisha today is like how do I make that more my everyday Mm. Um, holidays are not easy on a lot of people and I think COVID adds another layer to that so yeah I think that's what I would say Um, let, let me just say too, for, for me, Rita, like your, um, kind of like multimodal analysis of rest to me is very significant. And that will be something that I carry forward in terms of, um, well, my own life, but then also, um, thinking about what I say to others who, who do need rest, um, and I wonder, I don't know what advice, because I think what you said just now to Rita is also really important. The holidays are not easy. To find rest during a time um, that is often great heartache for so many people um, or loneliness um, is, yeah, it's hard to know how to counsel during that time. So I, I sometimes I wonder if the advice should be to the institution, right? Like I love it. Like to the yes. institution, get your shit together. Yes. And make I'm it possible. Nisha. <laughs> Nisha, wow. Make it possible for people to rest. Right? <sighs> yeah. Well, I'm so appreciative of the space that we've created and the glasses of wine and Prosecco and rum and eggnog that we've imbibed. Um, Thank you both so, so much. And that's Academic Aunties. Listeners, please try to do something that is relaxing and fun during the winter break. You may not be able to take the entire time off, and that's okay. But if there is one thing this two-year-long pandemic has taught me, it is that life is so precious and so quick. After two years of so much loss, I need to keep reminding myself what actually matters. So let's try to do things that are, well, for us and our families, and not the damn institution. This episode is dedicated to my high school friend, Joanne Chow, who was my buddy to intro to Spanish with Miss Young. She was an academic ate, or older sister, who at 15 befriended shy and awkward 13-year-old Ethel. Love you, Joanne. You loved life and fought for it. And I'll see you on the other side. Today's episode of Academic Aunties was hosted by me, Dr. Ethel Tungohan, and produced by myself and Wayne Chu. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at, at Academic Auntie on Twitter and academicanties.com. We'll see you in 2022 with more episodes of Academic Aunties. Until then, 
Take care, be kind to yourself, and don't be an asshole.